afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 108 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Hannah Flint. I'm Clarice Lockery. And I'm Amon Woman. This week, I chat to Lola Quiveron about her Fast and Furious feature debut, Rodeo, which we also review. David Lowry returns with his latest classic update for Disney, Peter Pan and Wendy. And we take a look at Nida Manzor's high-kicking action caper, Polite Society. Plus, in our hot take, we talk about the art of adaptation. But first, let's catch up with the crew. Um, I just want to say that I don't know if um, £20 entry to the fans strike back was worth the admission price <laughs> for that Star Wars exhibition. Clarice, did you oh, think it was worth the 20 quid? I didn't know it was 20 pounds. Oh, did you get a free invite? Yeah, because I went uh, with an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, influencer friend Sophie. The I word. In. She hooked us up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe for I would say maybe for families. I didn't know. I don't know. It was twenty. I probably should have looked that up before I talked about it last week. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite interesting. I think I was expecting a little bit more, but it felt like a very fan made exhibition. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? In but also of... at the same time, not the sort of fan that I'm used to, where it would be like this is the labels were just describing the parts of like what Darth Vader who Darth Vader is it's yeah like, it's like this we, costume anyone's was here. made by <laughs> yeah. this guy it's a costume I, they didn't say if anything was pr- like an actual prop I don't think there was but I would love to know the history <laughs> well the this is a thing they had this one bit so there's one bit in it where it was like this is like a concept art it's like okay if it's concept art that doesn't actually like the, what they look like in that concept art and then he did a uh, like a diorama of it that's not what it actually looks like in the final one so it was very like if you're a fan I mean who at this point needs to know who Darth Vader is <laughs> who's going to that exhibition you know, my, my, my... <laughs> go on you never know there might be that one person or two who actually gains something gleans something new maybe a family yeah. member has taken them as like this, their first yeah, Star Wars thing that could be maybe but it was like repetitive it was the same thing and also I took massive issue with one <laughs> Moss Espo Moss Eisley one where it tried to call it oriental looking inspired architecture it's like no <laughs> <laughs> No, that's actually Amazi Berber from Indigenous to Tunisia. And you're kind of like, you're supposed to be fans. And yet, um, I did lodge a complaint with the manager. How much <laughs> of this is coming from a place of them not having anything to, anything to do with Dr. Afra at this exhibition? No, this comes nothing to do with Dr. Afra. This comes from a Tunisian person who appreciates the Tunisian heritage that inspired George Lucas. Did you know that the camels in animals were actually inspiration for Chewbacca's sound i did not know oh, that, I didn't know that. should be hiring ran over some camels when i was in the desert sahara desert last year when tunisia going to mosespa so there we go and then they have those actual camel creatures what are they called that obi-wan rides i want to start with an e yeah i wonder what their noise is there a different noise that's so funny i think so um, Amon, what have you been doing I haven't been doing much this week because I've been working on some exciting things uh, from home. Uh, But as you know, I'm a big NBA fan and the NBA playoffs are happening right now. So I've been watching a lot of basketball, 
My team are still in it, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, our series is tied at 2-2. Uh, so the next game is going to be very pivotal. It's basically first to four in these NBA series. So that's been very exciting. And the people that I've been chatting to for the various things that I've been doing has also been exciting. I actually just had a really fantastic chat with Bear McCreary, uh, who's one of the best composers working today. We were talking about his score for The Rings of Power, which is God-tier, incredible work. And I said it a few months ago, but I would put it, It's this is how good it is. Obviously, everyone knows how good the Howard Shaw, Lord of the Rings scores are, one of the best scores of all time. I am tempted to put Bear McCreary's work on The Rings of Power right next, neck and neck to it. It is that good. And we just had a, <gasps> I, it, I, it's, it's phenomenal. Literally, there's so many. I want to give you the right reaction that I think you want from us. <gasps> that, wow, big, oh, big statement, Amon. I No, I say this with love because I sometimes when you, like you are such a, I love how much you're such a nerd. Like you're such a slut for scores. <laughs> uh, I should just read re- my Twitter bio. Slut, slut for scores. Uh, put that in. But um, we're all yeah. a slut for something. <laughs> yeah, for you it's Doctor Afra. For Clarice, it's Pedro Pascal, and for me it's scores apparently. Um, but yeah, now I it was a really fascinating conversation. I love talking to creative people about their process. As I'm sure you do, Hannah, because you have an interview for us today, do you not? Oh, seamless. I love it. I do, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much. So I'll listen to my intro. <laughs> yes. Uh, but first, let's have a listen to the trailer for Rodeo. C'est que si la daronne est de voilà, il appelle les keufs. Vas-y, de toute façon, je reste pas ici dans cette vieille parade moisie. C'est quoi, c'est du mélange dedans Tu viens, tu te sers chez les gens comme ça, toi. Tu fais pas le creveur, j'ai besoin de cramer. Regarde, là, il y a tout le monde qui crame. Moi, je suis la seule débile sur le côté. Vous faites quoi ici Pour taper les bécanes Pour plaquer les numéros Vas-y, bouge de là. Bouge, t'es dit. Tu vas aller faire un tour Non, non, mais ça va pas ou quoi Domino, il, il n'aime pas qu'on sorte. C'est qui Domino euh, Patron, entre guillemets. J'ai un deal à te proposer là. Vas-y. If you wanna go and take a ride with me, we three willing in the fall with the goldies, or why do I live this way? Hey, must be the money! <laughs> oh, you're taking me back. Oh, what a track. Ultimate grade A God tier classic from Nelly. Okay, um, this that song is not in this movie. <laughs> uh, this film follows Julia, a young woman living in social housing who has a poor relationship with her mother. Passionate about the sport of motocross, she tries to gain the opportunity to participate in the sport by posing as a buyer on shopping websites so that she can take bikes out for test rides. As she becomes drawn deeper into the urban motocross scene, however, she begins to participate in a motorcycle theft ring. Co-written and directed by Lola Quiveron with Antonia Bressi, who also stars. Rodeo features Julie Ledru, Yanis Lafki, Louis Sauton, Junior Kreya, and Ahmed Hamdi. Um, so yeah, I spoke to Lola over Zoom um, and we got into kind of like the inspiration for it. Um, she talking about how it started off as a kind of short film, how much she got to know this motorcycle group in 
France. She's she's French. And um, and then, yeah, some of the inspirations, which were quite surprising, because obviously there's a certain bit in it we'll probably talk about. There's obviously the first obvious thing is Fast and Furious, but there was a lot more influence when it came to kind of westerns and such. So uh, please enjoy this chat with Lola. Uh, Lola, welcome to the Fade to Black podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are you today? Fine. Thank you. And you? Um, I'm good. I'm cold. It's very rainy. <laughs> I suppose the first thing I'd love to talk to you about is um, why this for your first feature? Why this subject? Um, I began to be interested to the bike life community, the French bike life community, when I was still at school in La Femis, which is a public school in Paris. And I was, uh, I think it was the final um, year uh, before graduating. And I uh, read this article with a lot of uh, picture in this article. It's, it was written by a journalist, a photojournalist. And um, when I saw the dirt bike and the tricks and the communities, the, the, the way they, they create, um, they create uh, this kind of alternative family, I could recognize something that I knew before because I grew up in the suburbs of Paris. And I would, um, I usually, I used to to, to watch um, dirt bikes in front of my building. Uh, it was not something so usual, but uh, I remember very well to see, of course, scooters, um, mob bikes and, and dirt bikes. Um, mm. But I didn't know that since this uh, long uh, journey, this long time, a lot of community uh, was were created um, by passionate uh, people. And uh, so I decided to, to have a look and uh, I was invited by uh, uh, the, the leader whose name is Pac, uh, who is uh, the leader of one of the most famous uh, French bike life community, which name is Dur Dirty Riders Crew. And uh, this day, it was in the summer, and I arrived on this road with the smell of the oil, the dust, um, all the groups of people talking about uh, engine, oil, patient, of uh, doing tricks, uh, going really, really fast on the, the bike. And and I, I began super, you know, like I had a big crush in terms of aesthetic uh, because it was really a physical uh, encounter. Um and it was a kind of, uh, and I have, and I keep have um, uh, this political uh, uh, perspective and approach, you know, because it's about how to create alternative families. Um, and it's a practice uh, which is really quite rare, singular, with, which is really codified. And so, and really, it's it's a marginalized marginalized practice as well. Um, and so, yes, I fell in love, and and then I began more and more. Um, I never uh, stop going to this road and see the trainings, and I I I began to be a member of this uh, crew, you know, in a way, because I. I shot a short film with them uh, at first, um, Dreaming of Baltimore, uh, that's the title. And then I shot another film, but it was a video clip um, with them. And I I never keep like, um, yeah, I was so interesting that I um, wanted to, to do a feature with them. And- um, Do you ride yourself? 
I learned to ride a bike, but I'm not. I I don't do uh, what they're doing in the film, like those tricks and the acrobatic mm. um, stunts. It's uh, super technically uh, like the it, it it it's yeah. It's a lot of training, um, mm. you know, to to reach this uh, level of uh, stunts. Mm. So. Um... You obviously you've spent a lot of time with them, but of course this is from a female perspective. Um, was there female riders that you were able to speak to? And I suppose how did you build the character of Julia? Yeah, Julia is um a kind of it's it's a character. I dreamed about this character for a long time. Maybe when I discovered cinema, I was ashamed not to to find a lot of uh, you know, a lot this type of characters. So uh, I think I dreamed about her for a long time because of this lack, because of this absence, because um, in this cinema history, we, you, you don't find a lot of this kind of uh, character, female character, you know, who fights, uh, who received a punch, but uh, she she could uh, maybe punch back, you know, mm. uh, on herself, and which is more precious, you know, and... Uh, so um, I had this draft in my head, uh, in the back of my head, to build this char- this female character, fed by a lot of uh, transfeminism uh, essays, um, fed a lot by my own experience as well, um, and um, and I met one day. Uh, it was in the summer. It's only in the summer because it's like a bright sun. It's the best way to to mm-hmm. to have this. Uh, uh, this ride, a training ride on the road, and and I met Baya, uh, who was the first female riders I've met in in the community, and she appeared one time. I was completely like all the eyes of the community were on her. Like it was really like a lot of um, riders would uh, booze at her, laughing at her, you know, because she was the only one. And she she had at this time a little um, bike, um, a small bike, really small. But she had this face really aggressive and uh, she she had this uh, thug attitude. Uh, uh, and, and she was so mysterious at the same time because she appeared from nowhere and then she disappeared at the, the end of the summer. She never come back. So she crossed the community like a shooting star. But uh, because I've never uh, give up the com- my community, uh, I mean, um, the Dirty Riders crew, I, I kept going on the, the road. And But she was not there. But I I, I, I was with uh, all the time with this ghost, you know, this female ghost. So I, I began to to really write the, the female character thinking a lot about her like okay maybe it was the first time I identify myself um, inside the community because of this kind of mirror she was a woman she was considered as a woman but she has this kind of really hybrid way to to appear and to to behave and to to play the, the masculine codes and to be this kind of she has I could feel this anger you know, in, inside her. And I really understood her from the really beginning from, yeah. And um, and so, yes. And after that, I developed the character, but it was difficult. And I wanted to to get some testi- testimonies from female, other female writers, but it was so difficult to find. 
to find some. But one day I, I just uh, met uh, Julie Ledru uh, on Instagram. Uh, her nickname was Unknown. So I was so thrilled to to uh, to know her and to so curious about her. And we met. And then when we met, it was uh, in the suburbs and the suburbs, like, it was a town that I knew before, so it was really um, a lot of signs, you know, um, like uh, really meaningful. And um, we spoke a lot about loneliness, violence, anger. And she was, of course, she was involved in this movement and she wanted at this time, she wanted to to get into uh, this community. Um, so we spoke a lot about um uh, the experience of being a woman inside this male-dominated world, and uh, I think I identify myself a lot. And we were super connected when we spoke about loneliness and not being recognized, and you know, this struggle make a lot of to start strive like faire un effort, uh, strive, strive, strive to strive and to strive just to be recognized a little and. Uh, and to prove all the time, to prove um, and to perform and to and to take care of the space. Um, so yes, she fed a lot of uh, this character, like a lot of anecdotes that she she brought are in the movie. And uh, because we build this uh, super strong relationships, uh, ship, sorry, and. Um, and and yeah, we began we began this this kind of sister relationship, you know. So with the um, you know, building out your cast. I mean, Julia was she she was a non professional actor. Was most of the cast like how it, how how did you fill it out? And how is it working with people who might not have um, you know, getting into the places they needed to go, especially because it's a very emotionally quite raw film. Actually, you know, what I quite love about it is that. You know, we talk about like masculinity and like her having to like bash up against these kind of like misogyny. But there's also some really poignant, beautiful moments where uh, one of their friends dies. And it's kind of like that that, few, that, that scene, uh, the kind of over the bed was actually really, it made me cry as well. It was really quite beautiful. Yeah, because um, it's, uh, Rodeo is really like a fiction. It's be, because um, I want to point uh, out that because I wanted the film to be epic and to um, to reach this kind of mythology, you have a lot of levels of um, of meanings, symbolical meanings uh, in terms of representations, and because it's a specific universe. Um, and yes, of course, um, there is a lot of misogyny, and um, but you know, um, I I choose all the non-professional actors because uh, because of their ability to play, just to play, because for most of them, uh, they are really far away from the role they play, you know. So we had uh, these um, big sessions of work bef before the shooting, um, uh, really concentrated on, you know, how to... Uh, receive the energy when you play how to deal with the energy how to perform and and we spoke a lot about the story of the film of course um and um and we and and during these rehearsals and improvisation sessions before shooting 
each non-professional actors, each actors of the film uh, met their character. Um, and when they, I remember when they remember uh, Moose, um, uh, Ahmed, who plays Moose, and uh, he went to me after a big session of improvisation and he told me like, oh, Lola, I'm so sad because I think I've never met uh, my characters yet, you know. So it was important uh, for them to um, to understand their character because um, because it's about construction. This film is about construction. So all this violence, all this uh, misogynia, misogynistic view, it's a kind of you know. I wanted to um, to emphasize to augment. Enhance. Yeah, to en en enhance. Yeah, to en enhance the um, all that I, all the elements that I could observe during this uh, ex documentary exploration during this uh, seven years. Uh, but I wanted to to push the limits uh, of these representations and to you know um, to go through the fiction and to play with all the levels of the fictions. Uh, and that's why about the violence, I wanted um, the violence to be complex and not to be, uh, not to essentialize the violence, you know, uh, because of this uh, male uh, group, uh, because the violence is really singular uh, for each character, the way they receive violence, the way they spread violence, the way um, they deal with violence, uh, it's really singular. Um, but I think mostly the violence in the movie, the trouble with violence is because of this female character who enters uh, really brutally in this, inside this community. And she, of course, she, she, she met uh, Abra, which is maybe the only one at the beginning who cares about her and uh, who wants to help her. And then there is this uh, big accident Mm, and and it's a big shift in the in in the community. But she, at this time, it's a door open for her because because of this accident and because Abra doesn't hear uh, he doesn't uh, leave anymore. Uh, she maybe could uh, enter, you know, in this world and to replace maybe him and to. So yeah, the violence is really kind of. Um, a friction between uh, fiction and friction in between her inside this uh, male-dominated world, but it's because she is a, a thief as well. You know, she thief uh, bikes, but she she could uh, thieves uh, the the role of the others. Mm. Yeah, fragile masculinity. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, so my final thing I want to talk about. We've got to talk about the stunts and shooting those. And I'm sure so many people have said this, but the the final kind of high scene did remind me of Fast and the Furious. <laughs> what were your influences of how you wanted to shoot that? And also like, again, big kind of a big challenge for your first feature. So tell me yeah. a bit about getting that all together. The more there is challenges, the more uh, I'm happy on the set, you know, because <laughs> it's a way to connect with the energy, the collective energy, because when you have such a big challenge, 
you you have to keep uh, an eye concentrating on what's happening in front of you because it, it could be really risky, dangerous. And so you are aware. And after, it was a kind of really massive um, film for a first feature. Um, that's true. But it was, you know, each day climbing a new mountain. And after that, everybody were so proud of the work. So it creates this strong links, strong relationships between people on the set. And I'm saying that because, uh, I say that because um, we didn't have a lot of money to do it. Like it's a low budget movie. So the desire of the collective desire is even more important than ever, you know. Um, and for the stand choreography, I wanted to, yes, my influences. Um, I watched a lot of Western, classic Western movies with ah. the horses and the ride, the big ride, you know, in the desert. Um, so the searchers, uh, skate, uh, stagecoach, yeah, stagecoach, the, um, the two by, uh, a lot of film by um, John Ford, actually. Wow, yeah. Uh, but I also discovered this amazing piece um, by Anthony Mann, uh, which name is Winchester uh, 73, but there is also this uh, uh, Who who Killed Liberty Valence? Liberty yeah, Valence. yeah. Uh, is that know. John Wayne? John Wayne, yeah, yeah, for sure. It was John Wayne, and and um, and there is also uh, not a lot, but several uh, uh, gangster movie, uh, Heights movie, uh, old one, black and white. I remember uh, White Hit with James James Canyon. and mm. the end of the the ending of the movie it's quite uh, similar to mine because. Uh, um, I, when I discovered the, 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 this character and the way, uh, the way, the way, the, the way he, ev like the evolution of this character in, inside this gangster movie, I was really moved and touched. Yeah, it's about f masculine fragility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's really cool to watch if you have the, if you are lucky to find it. Um, and um, yes, Fast and Furious, it was a. Uh, it was a film that I, my parents didn't want me to watch when I was a, a teenager, uh, maybe too violent or something like that. I don't know. But one day I discovered it and uh, I think it was maybe, um, yeah, there is a big mythology around all the um, Fast and Furious um, uh, episodes, uh, I mean, films. Yeah. And uh, maybe it fed yeah, the way mm. I saw the 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 heist uh, sequence uh, the and also Michelle Rodriguez Letty's character yeah. is one of the best. That's right. Um, that's right. I and I, uh, yeah, I I do say I say the original Fast and the Furious. It's gone in a whole massive direction where it's kind of gone mental now. But like the simplicity of it about the family, about coming together, being like, <laughs> so funny, they they started off stealing DVDs from the back of trucks, and then they've got onto into like super espionage. Um, but your, no, um, Rodeo is so original. Um, I love, it was so beautiful to watch. Thank you so much for your time and chatting to me about it. Thank you very much to you. I suppose the first thing, yeah, I mean, how, I mean, have you what what's your guys thoughts on like motorcycling like are you like I don't know for me it feels like something I would never do it looks too dangerous but when I watched this it was like maybe I should get a motorcycle Clarice 
Should we start a gang? <laughs> I can't even drive a car, so I don't think. Um, I don't think you should put me on a motorbike, but I, I think it's very cool. I like people who have them. Um, you know, is I I don't. They weren't wearing their helmets a lot in this movie, which <laughs> I'm. You know, I'm not a judgmental person. Whatever, I get it. But I was very worried <laughs> the whole time, being like, "Put your helmet on." Yeah, it's really dangerous. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't really have any strong feelings about <laughs> it. Um, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's sad that it's illegal in in France to, and probably many countries to do the sort of urban racing that they do. Like, I understand that there are safety concerns, but I feel like there's a better way around it. That's not banning what is like a productive outlet for a, a lot of people like it's like if you love motorbike racing and you don't have like the the privilege and access to professional uh race tracks sorry mm. <laughs> i don't know the lingo like it's it's quite depressing that you just can't do it you have nowhere to go um so that bit i was like oh fuck that's sad that's it's interesting because massive part of this is for, is about the characters being so, certainly marginalised, low income, like, as we mentioned, social housing situation, um, and obviously cannot afford to do things legally. So what that, what that, what does that mean for people who actually, you know, it is an art form. Um, and I definitely think there's a real affection for it as, you know, as an acrobatic kind of impressive skill. And I think that just the choreography of it as well. Amon, how did you think that um uh kind of the way the cinematography, the way it rendered these people who are, you know, sure, yeah, they're that comes to their motorcycle thief, but there's also some beautiful moments of just like getting that thrill and showing the beauty of being able to wield such a powerful thing and do make it do kind of impressive, beautiful, acrobatic things. Absolutely there is. And that is why I am tempted to now try out uh, some motorcycle uh, bike riding because uh, yeah I, <laughs> before this like you know a helmet. No, no, <laughs> believe me a helmet will absolutely be worn uh, in these things because it is dangerous but what they capture especially with our lead character the purity and the freedom that she gets from being on that bike is absolutely felt through the screen and the cinematography captures that brilliantly all the way through the film. Yeah, definitely wear a helmet. This is from someone who, do you remember during lockdown where I fell off my bike and fractured my elbow? Yeah. And that was just like a two-wheel, a two-wheel, like normal bike. <laughs> not a, I mean, all bikes are two-wheel, most of them, but like, mm. as in not, not motor-powered. Uh, and that really hurt. But I was wearing my helmet. So good, and I got bike insurance, and that worked out very well for me at the time. Well, I can't talk about because I signed an NDA. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 I kind of there's a real kind of grounded minimalism to this, and also again using kind of non-actors m- mostly for for it. How I mean, there's some, um, but there's really some I really emotionally powerful moments like Clarice. How do you think? Yeah, how do you think it kind of graphs with? The kind of themes as well, like fragile masculinity, toxic masculinity, and this sense of um, and 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 Julia, her character, having to kind of break through into a man's a man's quote unquote world, quote unquote world, with that because I quite enjoyed the fact that it wasn't so 
like, I don't know. It was not, I was both on the nose, but not on the nose because do you get what I mean? If there's a kind of subtlety towards how much she's basically been, say, she's having to deal with like misogyny and in trying to inco- in, infiltrate a world that seems like designed not to let women in. I think what I found so interesting about this movie is that you're right. It's not just about Julia finding acceptance within this very like male dominated scene. It's, I feel like the movie creates like a really strong divide between what acceptance means and what solidarity means. And there's this whole thing where Julia is like constantly being made to think of herself like in relation to other women because the other women who are like around in this world are the wives and the girlfriends and you only ever see them like faring around kids or like they're dressed up like dancing being like the sexy ladies at the finish line (laughs) Um, and she's constantly just having that's like the way that she's forced to view herself and what I found so touching is that she develops this sort of friendship I guess or like she finds solidarity like true solidarity with the wife of a crime boss who's in jail called Ophelia um and she's got a little son and like their relationship was so i found really moving and i think that's Mm. that's the thing that to me elevated this beyond like cool crime movie that's sort of inspired by fast and furious sort of vibes which are great like that was already really great but that's the thing that really pushed it for me for me too for me too i really like that relationship because up until that point We'd only really seen Julia, the the anger and the drive to succeed in this world. Those are sort of the only two modes that we had seen up until that point. That relationship allows us to see that character open up and display some vulnerabilities and add other layers to what she wants and how she goes about getting it through that relationship. And as you say, it really elevates the film. Yeah, and I think Julie Ledrou, who's the lead, I think this is like her first role. Yeah. She is really powerful in it. Uh, and again, getting to that kind of non-actors who are coming through, there's like a real rawness there, which I think was amazing. Also, I just love like like her hair hair. <laughs> it's just something about it. And it's also, there was a moment in it where there's like a fire and it really reminded me of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. You know, like so there's something about having like a bonfire and then she's like dancing and just like letting go. And I thought, mm. yes, that spirit. And I think there's a kind of real, I don't know, like mysticism to this film. Of course, in certain ways, I don't want to, but it's kind of like this sense of your, your spiritual awakening finding yourself and who you are and being able to express that in the face of, as you said, like, uh, like in spite of it's kind of in spite of that I'm going to be authentically who I am and live my life the way I want to live it and fuck everyone else kind of situation um, but there was a really beautiful moment I think with um, one of the uh, one of the male actors where someone there's a, there's a kind of like wake and and again knowing that these aren't professional actors seeing the kind of rawness mm. and I think as well that you know Lola talks about the rehearsal periods that they went through to do this but it was really moving I was crying I did cry a lot and I was like oh I love that I love that it's both like very fiery but also quite a tender story um was there anything else that stood up I mean even like the action sequences I know we had like the kind of um talked about some of the ways they showed the actual motocross dancing I would say the choreography but there were some really kind of intense really well shot action sequences and I know 
it's funny because I said at the end, I was like, Fast and the Furious, that mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of got the origins. But, you know, I think what was interesting when Lois talks about like how like stagecoaks, like kind of Westerns, how you're kind of like trying to get, try, like on horseback riding. And there is that similarity, isn't there, when it comes through Clarice? Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't read the synopsis before I watched this. I thought it was going to be about actual rodeos. <laughs> so part of me was a little bit disappointed because um i am a cowgirl at heart that's my heritage (laughs) um but no i i understand i totally get that reference because the cowboy is such a romantic romanticized image um in some quite problematic ways but a different conversation Mm. for a different day but you know and I, i think taking that and adding to that that sort of like dreamy quality like there's a really dreamy quality to the movie that extends beyond the actual dream sequences that are in the movie and what i found really striking is that the way her dreams are shot which is this very like beautiful like midnight bluey color um it's the same way that the actual nighttime sequences are shot and I think I'm so used to directors like making a really visual strong visual distinction between what is reality and what isn't reality and this movie what is reality sorry it was right there (laughs) but I like that this movie doesn't like her dreams looked exactly the same as the the actual nighttime did and it helped like blur everything together and give like the motor cross motorbike what is motocross i don't know what that is motorbike <laughs> motocross is the sport is the sport but motocross this is just sport, but motorcycle motorbike motorcycle okay. yeah motorbiking <laughs> again <laughs> the whole scene like that same sort of like dreamy romanticized quality that we give to cowboys and to the western mm. um mm. i really like that side of it even yeah. though there are no actual horses but i'm kind of scared of horses so it's fine <laughs> yeah yeah, no, as I said, there's some beautiful shots in this film. I think I liked it more when it was more of a character study on Julia as opposed to the heist movie that that there's a heist, there's a whole heist element to this that we haven't really talked about that uh, that try, tries to mash up both of those things. I preferred the, the character study portion of this film as opposed to the other side, but still really, really good. Mm, mm. Although the thing okay. they do is pretty sick, <laughs> I was yeah. Like, wow. I think I, I think it all adds to this kind of element of her wanting. But I think that's a big part of who she is and what she wants to do. Like, mm-hmm. she is a risk taker. She is. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of an exposed nerve. And I think there's something almost kind of again romantic about the way that she's willing. Just like I want to put everything in the line. Like nothing is worth living. Like she just doesn't feel like she's just all about the life Mm -hmm. she's all about thrill seeking and trying to get that freedom Mm -hmm. and I think that's that that heist element and her being able to lead it and do things like that is all part of like her having the autonomy to do do that so I quite enjoyed that element especially as it wasn't kind of like Ocean's Eleven as we saw with what was the film last week we did that was like quite Ocean's Eleven how to blow up a pipeline yes Mm -hmm. yeah which again is interesting because these are two films that are quite similar in the sense that they're kind of blockbuster ideas, but done in an indie level, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is quite powerful. Maybe that's the new genre, right? <laughs> What's going to be next? I'm so excited. You're going to get like Avatar, but like, <laughs> oh no, that's already exists. It's like every indigenous movie. <laughs> mm. 
for oh, going. No, no, it's not an indigenous movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, this is out in cinemas. Should we do a screen, stream, or skip? Clarice. Screen. Aman. You should ride your motorbike with a helmet to the cinema and watch this on a big screen. And mine will also be a screen. So, from riding without hooves <laughs> to flying without wings, <laughs> this is Peter Pan and Wendy. I don't want to grow up. I want things to stay the way they are. Can't stop time, Wendy. Whether you like it or not. Did it. I don't think that's a bug. She is a fairy. Are you Peter Pan? Were you expecting someone else? I can fly! Is that Neverland? Is this everything you dreamed of? I could never have dreamed of this! No rules, no schools, no bedtimes, and most of all, no growing up. Are you Wendy? Tiger Lily. Peter. 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 Captain, it's Peter Pan. Never say his name. And when you know how much that means, you found that special thing. You're flying without wings. Stand up from your stool. Oh, impossible. Remember that whole thing with West Life? It's like a boy band thing when they do a ballad. But they all sit down on a stool and then they get to the bridge. It's like, and it's like, wow, next level. (laughs) I take it you were a West Life fan back in the day, Hannah? I actually wasn't. I just know all the songs. I was a boy zone. I was actually more of a boy zone fan, actually. Boy zone was my, boy zone and take that. Boys, then, and take that. Okay, I'm getting a picture of young Hannah here. Clarice, uh, what boy bands were you into growing up? I didn't like any boy bands. Ooh! Um, no. I I think the first music I was into was No Doubt. <laughs> okay. Really like Very good. <laughs> I'm just Very a girl. It's such a bop. Oh, it really <laughs> is. <laughs> It's so good. <laughs> uh, we're talking Peter Pan and Wendy. Wendy Darling, a young girl afraid to leave her childhood home behind, meets Peter Pan, a boy who can fly and refuses to grow up the audacity. Alongside her brothers Michael and John and the tiny fairy Tinkerbell, she travels with Peter to the magical world of Neverland. There, Wendy encounters an evil pirate captain, Captain Hook, and embarks on a thrilling and dangerous adventure that will change her life forever. This is directed by David Lowry from a screenplay he co-wrote with Toby Halbrooks and it stars Alexander Maloney in his film debut as Peter Pan and Eva Anderson in the title roles. Jude Law, Yara Shahidi, Alyssa Wapanotak, Joshua Pickering, Jacoby Jupe, Molly Parker, Alan Tudyk and Jim Gaffigan also appear in supporting roles. So, Peter Pan and Wendy 
David Lowry has already done a Disney adaptation in Pete's Dragon. What did we make of that? And what was our excitement level going into his second adaptation, Clarice Lockley? Pete's Dragon is like the best Disney adaptation there is. I fucking <laughs> love Pete's Dragon. <laughs> when he's calling, when they're separated and he's and they're like calling each other. It's so mm. beautiful and so sweet. And I think on a more serious level was a good example of what the Disney like remake could be because um, the original Pete's Dragon is not great. <laughs> and David Lowry like really took the core idea of like what would a friendship between a boy and a dragon be and just ran with it and just did his own thing and it was really lovely um i think you know there's been a few other disney remakes that i've really enjoyed but i would say that was my favorite is my favorite Mm. sorry spoiler alert (laughs) this isn't as good as peach dragon (laughs) (laughs) hannah what do you say uh well considering the last david larry film i saw was the green knight I was like, yes, let's go, um, <laughs> because I love that film. And that was what I liked about The Green Knight, um, is that it, tr- it, it it took like a medieval kind of like Arthurian legend tale and did something really, nothing like I'd seen before um, with that sort of genre, not the obvious choice. And actually it was really dark and twisty. And it wasn't about like kind of heroics. It's also about, kind of more about the lack of heroic, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is interesting. And in a way, and I have to say, I, there's some, I, I suppose that there's so many things to get into, but like this was a little bit of a letdown for me. Ooh, this is intriguing. I did not expect <laughs> this reaction uh, in certain space. Okay. Um, for me, I'm a little bit more hit and miss on David Lowry, as you guys know. I really like The Old Man and the Gun. Uh, I was a little bit bored by Peach Dragon. Please don't hate me. And The Green Knight just didn't work for me uh, for whatever reason. What about Ghost Story? Uh, Ghost Story I liked. Ghost Story. Ghost Story I liked. Oh my God, when, when Rooney Mara eats that pie. You know what I'm saying? Genuinely, <laughs> one of the saddest things I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Unironically, it's really yeah. a sad scene. Yeah, in in sort of actors eating stuff on screen, that's like a Hall of Fame scene because, my goodness, uh, she's throwing it down there. Um, I guess we're going to touch on this in our hot take a little bit, but there's been a lot of Peter Pan and Wendy uh, sort of content adaptations from the animated original film to stage stuff and what have you. Do you think this film did a good job of taking what exists and putting a new, putting a new spin on it? I would say kind of yes and no. There was stuff about it that I did really enjoy, um, which felt a little bit like the movie going back to J.M. Barry's like original play and thinking a bit more deeply about because I feel like the in the animated film, nobody says to die would be an awfully great adventure, which is my favorite line, and I think it's so beautiful. Um, so I like that they put that back in, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I feel like the characterization of Wendy and her resistance to growing up um, was really well handled and was kind of a nice update of what 
like in the animated movie, she's very, she's quite annoying. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she's just going around being like, oh, Peter. Well, like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So I liked that. And I also liked what they did with Hook. Um, I think it's very stereotypical of Disney to be like, ooh, the, we're going to elaborate on the backstory of the villain. But mm. I think the choices they made were quite clever and um, helped to kind of like link everything back to what is like the absolute core theme of J.A. Berry's like original thing, which is the idea of like adulthood and is that a loss or a gain and what does that mean to grow up? So mm. I liked all that. Other stuff just felt like you're just padding out time. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You just had to make this two hours. So you're just you're just putting shit in there. But those two things I liked. I really liked the hook thing in particular. Like I was watching the film and I was enjoying it, but I was like, you know, what? Why? What is the scene? What is the thing that made Jude Law say yes to this? And then that scene comes, and it's so freaking good. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, that moment in particular. But Hannah, I want to get you in on on this. What what do you, you make of the new spin that David Lowry is trying to put on this? I mean, I suppose what you said, Clarice, about um, you know broadening out the female characters is certainly something they did well and avoiding the kind of racial stereotypes. I mean, you have Peter Pan being played by like a British Indian actor. Mm. Um, you have um, Tiger Lily, not simply, and the kind of relationship with, uh, there was always this really like, just awful, as you said, like Wendy, Tinkerbell and Tiger Lily, these like three women fighting over Peter Pan, which was really, in a cold light of 2023, you're like, yeah, let's not do that. So there's certainly the autonomy there. Mm. Um, but I suppose little things that kind of, um, that kind of again, it's like does that thing, but then you have and they add some in the Lost Boys that get. They said, "Oh, let's have some little girls in there as well." Great. Let's also have some people who are differently abled. Fantastic. But then you look at the pirate ship and the crew, and there's like one woman <laughs> in the whole thing, and you kind of like there's little things like that when you kind of like it goes just far enough, but like doesn't go as far as it could have gone. I also I don't know. There's something about it as well that I feel like I've seen this. It, it is, because I've seen this so many times. And I think back to, like, Wendy. You know, the one that um, Ben Zeitlin did. Mm, yeah. And in a way, after seeing that and then seeing this one, it kind of made me like that one more because it did try and do a big swing in a sense of, mm. let's really reimagine this <laughs> from Wendy's perspective and, like, really get into, the, like, the grittiness and the... And and even some of the aspects of it, some of the plot points and twists and stuff seem to be also I'd seen in that one. But for me, the greatest, for me, the greatest uh, Peter Pan adaptation is Hook. So <laughs> I think that is one of the best ones, especially when you're getting into that, the kind of like mortality of it and giving up, but also a sense of what I liked about Hook is that it kind of understood that growing up is good, but you also don't have to lose that childhood sense of curiosity and wonder. And I thought that was really kind of great and like that and I suppose this one kind of leads more into like adulthood is adventure and I kind of like I don't know I think it's just difficult when you again that's the difficulty which we'll discuss later is like the art of adaptation when is how do you and especially when you think about Renfield how do you do something Dracula is one of the most um like screened characters in history 
but how do you make it different to what else is what else has been before and I'm not sure Peter Pan and Wendy did much that was crazily different or that exciting for me that but that's probably for me who's who's seen so many a child who comes to it who might never have seen a Peter Pan and Wendy before this might be the first film that they see that's Peter Pan and Wendy so yeah, maybe I've got too much baggage. <laughs> mm. It's interesting, like the, the original, so the Disney animation, that's the one that I watched when I was young. And you know, I've returned to a lot of Disney animated stuff. Obviously, The Lion King is still my favorite animated movie of all time. I watch that all the time. I've watched Beauty and the Beast. I've watched Little Mermaid. Peter Pan is not the one that I've ever returned to, to the point where I'd almost forgotten some of what had happened is only when I watched this film and some of those things sort of, you know, that stored in the back of your brain is like, Oh, I still do remember that you can fly song, which the score brings back in a really cool way. The score by Daniel Hart, who is the regular collaborator of David Lowry, I think is absolutely phenomenal. I think it's a really, really good job. And on, on a technical level as well, there's some really cool stuff that they do and on a visual uh, level, when, when they're going through the portal to Neverland for the first time, there's some really cool shots in that sequence that, that really took me by surprise to the point where this is going straight to Disney+. Plus. I was like, I really want to watch this scene on the big screen because that looks super cool. Is there anything on the technical level that you took notice of that impressed you in any way? I, yeah. yeah, there's stuff in it. But this is the interesting thing with a lot of studio and especially disney movies is that you see certain shots and you go oh that's david lowry like the neverland sequence mm. the lighting in that is so david lowry <laughs> <laughs> um but then at the same time i mean at the tinkerbell oh <laughs> this is not yara shahidi's fault at all but it felt yes. it was so noticeable that she was just sat in front of a green screen like facially reacting to stuff <laughs> Like, it did not seem like Tinkerbell was ever present with any of the characters. I don't think there were very many, like, body shots that weren't her just flying around in the background. I don't, mm. like, I didn't believe Tinkerbell for a second. And also, she wasn't fun. She's really fun well, in the animated movie. I have a question about that. What do you make of the decision to have her voiceless for the vast majority of the film? I mean, that's technically kind of accurate <laughs> mm -hmm. because isn't it she's because the reason she calls Tinkerbell and even in the original one but I think it, it, in a way I just think it took too long for her to actually be able to be heard mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean because isn't it something like there's a line in it where it says oh you have to be able to like you have to if you want to listen you have to try or something you have to yeah. understand it's her. like yeah. you have to understand it's like so you're telling me none of these bitches fucking tried hard to listen to her it's like <laughs> and also the fact that she's a black woman yeah <laughs> it's like oh well no one listens to black women once mm. again it's sometimes those unfortunate situations where you kind of do the colorblind casting, you know, and then mm. what does it say about the character? And again, this is what I'm talking about, the kind of where it do, like it does the things where it kind of, it, it, it tries to do better representation and tries to kind of go deep in the characters, but it kind of only goes so far of yeah, really we... trying to grapple with, because again, you could have just, if it's just this Wendy story, it could have just been about Wendy and Peter Pan, like, and really focus on the, on the the relationships between those three female characters. I thought that would have been amazing. What if that was a thing? Or what if they made Hook a woman? Do you know what I mean? What if that, like, that thing? It's, it feels like, again, you're not shifting the needle. 
mm. further enough to really make it feel like this is something really fresh and brand new. You know, I would say Tiger. I just want to say Tiger Lily. Like I did appreciate she was actually speaking. I think she was speaking Cree yeah. is what the subtitle said. Although at one point mm. it was just foreign language. It was like okay, mm. <laughs> um, but. It was noticeable to me that the only real like dialogue scene she had was her being doing quite a stereotypical like my grandmother told me a story about listening mm. to yeah. that. I was like, oh, <laughs> could she have had like a bit more develop character development? That would have been nice. Yeah. But that uh, just to add to your point, like I, it's so noticeable across multiple characters that there's like a, a limit. Mm. Also, if like Tiger Lily and her tribe are indigenous to neverland why aren't they fucking like trying to take out captain hook because <laughs> he's an east that she wasn't if she was well there's another whole story that she is indigenous to that land that's the whole point their their tribe is indigenous to neverland oh. where was everybody yeah where was i assume she was like, where's everyone else lost <laughs> why aren't they that's what i mean again it's like this <laughs> token kind of character it only gets also, like, and I, I think the actress Eva Anderson is good, but it made me chuckle that it was actually the daughter of Mila Jovovic and Paul W. S. Anderson in mm. the lead role. <laughs> it's like, these Nepa babies, they everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no Nepa baby shall escape from Hannah's wrath. Uh, <laughs> one... No, but wasn't it Tandy Way Newton's was in, was in the um, Dumbo? Or was in Dumbo yes. thingy. I really tried to forget that very bad film. She's good. No, don't get me wrong. She is actually really good. I thought, and also an accent does help when your dad's British. When you're when you're like, because I think I was reading up about it. She could be like Russian, Japanese, and all those things. I was like, and she, I looked at, her, I was like, oh, she looks exactly like her mum and her dad. I was like, yeah, you can see <laughs> yeah. it. So she was very good. Like I'm not trying to say, but it mm. is interesting. It's like mm. apparently, yeah, I, was, I thought that was. And I was like, oh, who's this actress? And I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> one one revamp I did like was that. The Lost Boys in Neverland, there's some uh, black girls uh, in that, included in, within that, which I thought was, was cool. Um, one thing. I also didn't think Alex, sorry, Alex Mahoney, uh, uh, Mahoney? Maloney? Maloney. As much as I like the diverse like representation, I think he was a bit wooden, personally. And again, Peter Pan is supposed to have a bit more like charisma and a bit more like, I don't know naughtiness to him and i think there was a bit of a lack of that in this one he was a bit too public school yeah yeah that's fair one final thing to say the way the film ends but the the title of the film is peter pan ampersand wendy the way the film ends it's and and not ampersand make up your mind please That is why my squad cast name today is and or ampersand question mark because make it make sense. Um, That's the name of the original play, isn't it? What ampersand or and? No, Peter Pan and Wendy before it was Peter. Yeah, but but, with with the and or with the. I don't know. You'd have to ask Jay and Barry. (laughs) (laughs) These are the things we need to clarify and know. And that the film needs to make its mind up on. Uh, but also something that we need to make our mind up on is whether to stream or skip this. As I said, this is going straight to Disney Plus. It is not going to cinemas. Should people click on the play button for this film, Clarice? Yeah, I would say it's it's kind of perfectly made for Disney Plus because it is just to you put your kids in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same like the, the Lady and the Tramp. 
that was like the first thing Disney Plus ever put on their service. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, awesome. like quite enjoyable, but I have, I've not thought about it since. <laughs> no. And I am very unlikely to ever think about this again. <laughs> no. And yeah, I can picture, I have not watched the, the animated Peter Pan since I was probably a kid. Mm. And I can remember everything about it. Oh wow! I, think, I feel like I probably watched it so much as a kid. I was really a Disney, and I it's a great it's a great movie. Um, I just remember so much of, well of the time. Um, I remember, yeah, I can remember so many scenes and so many moments with the mermaids, and you know, oh god, when they're walking through the jungle, and yeah, remember it. But this one, I will don't think I'll remember. Think about, um, but I but, so <laughs> so I would say uh, stream if you have kids. What's your favorite classic Disney animated film, Hannah? I'm curious. Pre Renaissance. No, in the Renaissance period, like no, no. I don't consider that period. I don't consider them classics. I consider Hmm. Renaissance like that for me. Renaissance period, and then pre Renaissance is classic. (laughs) You're getting into the weeds. What is your favorite Disney animation period? Hmm. It's hard. It's a tough question. Maybe Little Mermaid. <laughs> Interesting. But then also Pocahontas. But again, mm. it's like, because the songs are sick and I love Pocahontas as a character, even mm. though she's just totally... <laughs> if I just ignore... This is the thing. If I watch Pocahontas in a vacuum, <laughs> <laughs> it's my fave. Do not remake it. Do not do live action, I'm please. I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> I live in daily fear of them announcing that. <laughs> How about you, uh, Chloe's favourite Disney animation? Lilo and Stitch, and of, of the classic <laughs> Alice in Wonderland, okay. which they have unfortunately already remade. The first I think one. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs of like the classic, but then also Fantasia. I really yeah. love Fantasia. Fantasia's, yeah. Mm. You'd yeah. love Fantasia. You mean Fantasia must be your favorite, Amon? No, it's The Lion King. You know this. Um, I know, but it's like music. It's like scores. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Exactly. laughs> I could never watch the end of Fantasia with the the um, China Bog. Oh, it's too <laughs> scary. <laughs> no, the Fantasia score is is good, but the, the, it's the circle of life. I mean, it, it moves us all. What can I say? What can I say? Um, I like that you're like all class <laughs> the entire history of classical music. <laughs> circle of life, baby. <laughs> what can John. I say? When Hans Zimmer is doing his thing, it's very hard for me to resist that. Um, Understandable. Uh, that wasn't Hans Zimmer, was it? That yes. was Elton John. Circle of life. There was a collaboration. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's a stream for me on this one. I had a better time with this than I think you did, which is interesting considering <laughs> I went to this being the least uh, David Lowry fan guy uh, of the group. Uh, but but yeah, I, I had a good time with this. Um, this is also the least David Lowry film that I think David Lowry has ever made. Mm. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> um, the people of Neverland live in a society. But is it a polite society? Polite society is next. <laughs> we, live a, we live in a society, man. How do we go via Joker? <laughs> I have no idea. It's what came to mind. I rolled with it. Deal with it. Most big sisters are crap, but mine's pretty great. She's a sick artist, helps me with the vids for my channel. You're dope, you're awesome. And all my training. Ria. Do you think your father sends you to that school for you to be a stunt woman? Yes, I am the Fury. Uh, no. 
But now, everything's different. She's been seeing this guy, who I think is a bit of a smarmy wanker. What a prick. She's not doing her art. She's wearing cardigans. Rock effing bottom. We need to find some dirt on Celine and get my sister back. Down with the patriarchy. Let's decimate this mother! To get his laptop, we'll need disguises. How do I look? Yeah. OK, Alba, eyes on the prize. Heavenly Father, give me strength. Nina, what's going on? See you, Salah. You've not even been seeing this guy for a month, and you're marrying him. Fatma, how are the girls? I'm not going to let you throw your life away. Great. <laughs> oh, song's really hard to sing. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> Makes me that much stronger. Makes Ooh. me work a little bit harder. Okay. Makes me that much wiser. Thanks, Thanks for making me, me a fighter. Fighter. Oh, that stripped album off the chain. Love oh my it. God, I'm on. Love that. Love that for you. Love that for us. Because <laughs> <laughs> it like, is. It's amazing. Look, I mean, it didn't Nobody have... can hold us down. Yeah. I know every single lyric on that song. I just fucking love it. You know what? You know what? It's thing. I'm always a bit like, like, I was I'm not I'm not I'm less an artist person, more of an album person. Like mm. if you make an album that's perfect, I will know every single lyric from that <laughs> album. I will not know anything else you've ever made, but I will know that one album. <laughs> it didn't hurt that the music video for Dirty was what it was. Uh, oh, clean it up. Holy <laughs> <Holy> bastard. <laughs> Look, I mean you saw that video, right? I'm just saying. Anyway. <laughs> Clarice is like, oh my gosh. <laughs> no, I'm trying to remember it. I don't remember it. She had the assless chaps. And she had the very problematic <laughs> dreads. <laughs> white woman dreads. White woman braids. Yeah, I kind of remember that. I think that was distracting me that I wasn't looking at the assless chaps. It was definitely distracting. She was too dirty to clean her up. <laughs> Rhea Khan practices martial arts in order to become a stunt woman. But when her sister drops out of art school and gets engaged, Rhea decides she and her friends must pull off a wedding heist. Written and directed by Nida Manzor in her feature film directorial debut. She also did Channel 4's We Are Lady Parts, which is an excellent series. The film stars Priya Kansara, Ritu Arya, Nimra Buka, Jeff Mirza, Ella Bukaleri, Serafina Beth, Shona Bambayemi and Shobu Kapoor. Um, oh, I had so much fun with this movie. I'm not <laughs> even going to hold back my opinions. <laughs> and I had a very surreal experience watching this because I was sat two rows behind Malala. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and I like to imagine that she enjoyed it as well. She left um, right when the credits started um, with her very handsome husband. Um, oh. So I didn't didn't get to see what she thought of it, <laughs> but I'm gonna pretend I'm gonna pretend in my mind that she enjoyed it because the room was uh, this had a good vibe, you know, when the room just has a really good vibe and everyone was laughing and having fun. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, did has everyone seen We Are Lady Parts? Mm, no, no, I. I mean, Hannah, do you think this is like a good translation of Nido Menzo's style of humor? And like, how does that work also in a feature length format? 
It's interesting because We Are Lady Parts, I absolutely adored. And I love the kind of irreverent style of it. The kind of, not just the visual style, but the humor and the way it kind of brought in the musical elements to kind of tell this story. And yeah, there's a whimsy to it as well. We Are Lady Parts, even though it's like about Muslim punk rock band. Um, but whereas that felt like a slightly older audience where it was kind of, you know, people in their twenties, like this one is like a slightly different humor that has a bit more of like, cause it's more of a coming of age kind of film. So it feels like for a younger audience, I don't know if you got that, if you felt there's like a slight difference in tone in that sense, um, which it, it felt, it kind of leaned more towards the, and I hate to just say it because it's like, you know, who we know, but like, it's because she's obviously another South Asian woman. But when I think about it, it does have this Gurinder Chada quality to it that I would say is kind of more in keeping of like Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, but with a bit more edge. I don't know, it's interesting. I don't, I don't consider polite society in a way an extension of We Are Lady Parts, but more like a different arena for like Nida to play in and tell a very different story. But I can see where, I can hear Nida's accent in it. But for me, they're kind of, because they're totally different genres of films, it's hard to kind of like, for me to compare them totally. Yeah, and I think you're so right. And I think there's definitely something smart about when you're trying to make a feature length movie that is hopefully gonna make a decent amount of money um, to, to, yeah, make the humor like, better for like families to go i can imagine loads of families going to see this together like mm. make the humor a bit broader um and i i really enjoyed as well the like the how the fight sequences are integrated into this movie because it's so from ria's perspective and how she sees the world like this teenage girl who's totally obsessed with stunt work and like perfecting her stunt moves so anytime that she is having an emotional argument with somebody in the movie it becomes this like crazy wire foo uh fight scene with the big title card coming on going khan versus whoever she's fighting aman i mean what did you think mm. of the both the fight sequences and then also how they're embedded into the wider story i think that i am the fury that's what i think um no, i really enjoyed them uh especially when it came to at times what they were homaging uh which were very sort of famous martial arts shots from uh from other movies i thought that was really fun and as you say it clues us into what it's looking like from Via's perspective, which is fantastic. So it's not just there to look cool, which it is. It also sort of adds to the character as well. I thought that was really good. And I guess the other side of it then is the sister relationship, because it's really mm. about, well, it's, I guess it's, it's half about like generational divide and the expectations placed on kids um but also maybe the expectation placed on like sisters with each other hannah yeah. what did you think of like the the character relationships in this and kind of the emotional side of it yeah i i think that's what kind of grounds it because i really really like ritu aria's performance as this kind of artist who 
has imposter syndrome, but she wants to be there for her old, like a younger sister. And this kind of, I don't know, I think there's definitely a sense of you can love your sister, but they can also be your worst fucking enemy and say awful things to each other. You know what I mean? Like there's such a, I don't know, whether you've got siblings or not, I know siblings, <laughs> the sibling rivalry can be actually brutal. Certainly I've had a fair few fights with my brother when I was like a kid. Um, so I think it captures that. It's, it's You know what? It's really difficult for me because I think there's something about, there's an, there's, there's, I, it, the, the, um, Rhea, the character of Rhea, I found her, the earnestness of the performance and the character, I find her, found her really annoying. Mm. <laughs> and I don't know what it is. And I can't tell if it's because of the actor who I thought was, I don't know, there's, <laughs> I loved every actor in it, but there was just something about this, her performance as a lead that I, I felt, fell a little bit flat for me. So I wasn't as invested in her journey. I, there's a bit, it's a, like, I don't have to like her, but there was something about her that was felt like it was just a bit too much. In a film that is about pushing the boundaries and using, basically using fight sequences to basically like magically realize the kind of confrontations that happen in real world situations, but taking it to a fantastical sense, which I adore. I think it's really great. And I love the kind of way that that fight scene between Ritu, um, sorry, uh, Rhea and her sister, where it's kind of like the fight between Kill, in Kill Bill between the bride and, um, she's not Black Mamba, what's the character called? You know, the Vanessa. I haven't seen Kill Bill in a long time. I know it in the you know kitchen. The kill, you know the domestic fight sequence where it's like yeah. a, that bit, which I liked. But there was something, I don't know, there's something about that performance that didn't quite stick the landing for me that didn't make me feel totally invested. So in a way, when it came, when it got quite convoluted towards the end, what we do, as it said, a wedding heist, mm. <laughs> that for me, I want it kind of like, again, slightly dipped, even in the sense of, Sorry, I'm going far up on the point you asked about sisterhood, but I suppose it's just like, it was the kind of really self-contained fight sequences that were really well thought out and then it got to the end bit and then it got quite a lot going on and it just didn't feel as sharp. So it kind of lost that sense of sisterly, the dynamic, the kind of, the fundamental groundedness of that sisterly dynamic was in lieu of this quite ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's quite fantastical. Uh, fantastical yeah. plot point that just like let's go for it let's just like let's just like turn it up to like 100 <laughs> do, they... and that's when it kind of lose it it kind of lost it's kind of lost it's this where it pushed a bit too far for me that was like i really like this thing but i didn't quite love it because i think that was like too much too much too many ingredients in a pot yeah i agree with that i agree with that the final act it does get to be a bit a lot and i had certain questions about how certain scenes were staged and who exactly was in on what, uh, which I'm not going to get into the specifics on because obviously that would be spoiling it, but I did have those questions going through my mind in that final act, which is not ideal. Um, I think on its own, Rhea as a character would be, is a lot, but I feel like her sister and her friend group balanced that out a little bit with humour and with realness that counteracts, that balances out the fantastical nature 
the the high energy that Rhea brings to everything. Um, the friendship group in particular that Rhea has, I thought they were fantastic, consistently funny. There's a scene sort of early on where they're trying to steal a laptop, and that was fantastic. <laughs> I watched I this. I agree. Yeah. I loved everyone yeah. in it, but yeah. there was something about that thing. It was like. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I watched this at uh, Glasgow Film Fest. Uh, it was a closing night film, I think. And the vibe, as you were saying, Clarice, uh, was really, really felt throughout that as well. It was really fun. Yeah, I think I, t- I totally get what you mean about like maybe the balance between what's grounded and what's less grounded. Like, I can see that not always working for other people but it it worked for me i think because even at its most kind of like outlandish um there is something very nuanced about the way it explored like the generational divide Mm -hmm. and expectations of parents because there's this real sense of like grief from the parents that there's almost like a jealousy and and i mean that in like a kind of very justifiable way of oh god what life could i have lived if i had the same opportunities as my kids which i think is a side of it that's not often explored when we have movies about like the generational divide and parents Mm. putting pressure on on kids like the fact that so much of it I mean, I'm not a parent, but I would mm. imagine comes from that, from a little bit from that, um, and obviously other things. But I, I think that's the thing that for me just meant I, I never got thrown out of the movie. Mm. But I get what you were saying. I, yeah. I think maybe it's it's. I there's something about something about this kind of. There's some, I totally agree with you on that. And also the kind of like, specifically in a Pakistani Muslim, kind of the polite society of that kind of culture, mm. which we get a really keen in, insight into and that, you know, the class and how much, you know, the wealth and kind of that sort of situation. I love Shabna Kapoor because, I mean, if anyone used to watch um, EastEnders, she's an icon. Uh, mm. She's great. I think, you know what it is? Maybe it's like the, the slickness of, the action sequences towards the end bit, the tightness, I think it was just a little bit baggy in places. And what we saw was those really well choreographed scenes. And then suddenly you have the fight final kind of big fight sequence that did not pack the same sort of, um, I don't know, exciting kind of visually rewarding punch Mm -hmm. as the previous ones had done. It looked a bit, like why, why? Like it looked, it looked like wires, but not in a way that feels like, oh, this is wire foo. No, this looks like, oh, this person's literally on a wire, and it doesn't look. You know, some of the shots just weren't as great as I wanted them to be, mm. or like the interactions, the fight scenes weren't as tightly edited or sharp that I wanted that I'd seen in the previous like hour of this movie when they had to come about. I don't know. I think it just again, it was that kind of like done a lot of things and maybe didn't have the budget, or maybe I don't know. It's, it's, it's really hard to, it's so specific that yeah. I just don't know what it is, but something shifted a little bit that made me feel like a bit like this had, I don't know what happened, but there was something yeah. that kind of was just, something's not quite as tight. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I think I felt it too. I'm just giving the film a bit of leeway because of the budgetary issue. I feel like it was more of a budget thing than anything else. 
Yeah. No, I and the thing is, I, I did the production notes on these mo- on this movie, so I mm. know, and you know, this has been ten years in the making, all this, so I understand mm. that when you've got, and then you you know you're doing it with a product, you're doing it a studio, and you've got lots of people giving their opinions, and you know you've got a certain budget, you've got a certain amount of time to get these shots and stuff. So I actually mm. think, considering it's a feature debut, mm-hmm. um, this is pretty. You know, it's definitely got her accent and her spin on it, and I like the fact that this is certainly a movie that I would have loved watching especially when I was a teenager like seeing someone seeing this sort of like subject matter and this person also trying to do a job that you know stunt women when you look at the amount of like women of color who are stunt women actually on the British stunt register it's like literally minimal so I really appreciate that this movie is doing a lot of heavy lifting um representing in so many different ways so I I really 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 like this movie so it's just like you know those things where it's like I think oh, this is like a more of a constructive critique. Mm. <laughs> uh, do we want to talk about anything else? I feel like we've got, unless there's anything performance-wise. I, I really enjoyed the... I'm such a cliche. I really enjoyed the score. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed the score by Tom Howe and Shez Manzor, which incorporates music from the culture and also mer- merges that with an orchestral sound. I thought that was done really well all the way throughout the film. And just on like a general level, it's just really cool to see a movie like this that, as Hannah alludes to, really spotlights representation in the way that we don't see, just on a Pakistani Indian level, but also on just a female, like when is the last time you had a movie focused on a woman who wants to be a stunt woman? like? You just don't see that very often. And I enjoyed digging into that side of things as well as the sisterly relationship and then the representation. I think they did a good job of merging all three of those aspects in with this movie. I had a good time. This is not strictly score, but I really made me giggle that every time someone like said like a put down, the it would go there'd be like an eagle cry, like <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was a really funny touch. Um, mm. I very much enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's bring it to our screen stream or skit. I did feel at the end when the credits rolled, I was like, I bet Nita Manzor is getting a phone call from Kevin Feige <laughs> very mm-hmm. soon because, like, I think Miss Marvel season this, two or other stuff. Maybe I don't. Yeah, just something about like the it's a really funny comedy, but with action, mm. like it's really original. Disney's gonna be phoning <laughs> for <laughs> sure. This is exactly the kind of director they like to snap up. Um, but you guys, would you be making the phone call? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Feige, would mm-hmm. you screen stream or skip Polite Society? I'm on. Neither this is Kevin Feige. Let's talk. It's a screen for me. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> that is exactly what Kevin Feige sounds like. I've spoken to the man. You gotta go find a baseball thought. cap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yeah, I'd also screen this, and I really hope it makes a lot of money because I think it's it's so fun and original, and mm. I want loads of people to see it. So they make, and I like that they did actually invest, like they gave this movie a budget, mm-hmm. <laughs> which um, is so hard to get these days. So I'm happy this movie exists, and I please go see it so they'll make mm. more. 
Okay, well, we're, it's at the end of our episode, so I guess it's time for our... Hot Okay, so cinema is a creative medium fueled considerably by adaptation, especially in the last decade or so with an abundance of remakes, reboots and legacy sequels. This week, we've seen the latest in a long line of adaptations of J.M. Barry's classic children's fantasy novel and play, and one of the difficulties David Lowry found in doing this film, compared to Pete's Dragon, was just how much more pressure he felt to deliver. He told Den of a Geek... Uh, Peter Pan is a beloved property. It's a property that was brought to the screen many, many times before, so one has to not only justify the reasons why one might make a Peter Pan movie in 2018, 2019, or whatever, but you also have to do justice to the source material. So you can't be a revisionist, but you also cannot be redundant, and that is a very challenging process. What year does he think it is? (laughs) I think he said this a few years ago, though. That's why. This is is an old interview when he was doing the the draft phrases of it, but this is, yeah. Sorry. But, um... So I suppose the question we wanted to say, like, what, I suppose for us, we've kind of touched with Peter Pan, but um, even last week, a bit with Dead Ringers, we were talking about it, but um, what what makes a good adaptation? Um, and certainly, I think, especially when you've got, I mean, it's interesting, what makes a good adaptation where it's like, if it's, um, and let's focus rather on, like, sequels uh, and that sort of thing, something where it's like, adapted from a book play whatever what what Mm -hmm. what what do you think makes it work work because one of the big things i've come to learn what i've come to believe certainly is that um you know it's interesting nick hornby i once interviewed nick hornby and he told me that he doesn't adapt his own books because the book is there and therefore he's done that job and that exists and so if anyone i mean obviously he's adapted everything he adapted wild he'll do screenplays but he won't adapt his own work because let someone else do a take on it and I've given a right and you can always go back to the book if you want the original. And I do actually believe in, I do believe to an extent, but there's also a sense of when they do an adapt adaptation, does it miss the point of the actual story it's trying to tell? Um, Clarice, let me come to you first. Like what, give me an example of like a great adaptation and why you think that works really well. And there's so many, I'm sorry, I put you on the well, spot. One of my, my favourite adaptation of book because it's one of my favorite books is martin scorsese's age of innocence which i guess the thing with that is that everyone was very surprised be like why is martin scorsese making this like silly movie about people in dresses (laughs) you should be making gangster movies about men killing each other and i love I love that he has always said that The Age of Innocence is his most violent film. (laughs) Because Mm. to me, that is a sign that, as you said, he understood the core, like the soul of the book, which was that, you know, this, this very strict, like, turn of the century society was so cruel because it's all about a woman... Um, who's been ousted and then she falls in love with a man who's kind of in the inner circle and it's this torturous romance where they can't be together because she's a pariah Um, which is yeah I think you could adapt in a very sort of wishy-washy like BBC (laughs) you know very stiff way but Martin Scorsese was like no I I get what this book is about it's about violence about emotional violence Mm. and yeah you're very right I think I a good adaptation is an an artist who has connected with the source material 
and has understood what the core point of it, which I think Peter and Wendy, I will say in David Larry's defense, does understand what the core point of Jay and Barry's work was. And then like processes that through their own imagination and like their own style. Like that, that's all it is. <laughs> That's all it is. It's sort of complicated, but not complicated at the same time. Mm. I agree. Um, I think Greece hit the nail on the head. Um, definitely connect with the core ideas of what the initial source material is has given you and bring that to light, but also put your own spin on it as well that shows that you connected with it on a different level and can add something new to the story that makes it worth telling. Like a really good example of this, I think, or two examples, one how not to do it, and one how to do it is what's re what is what we've recently got with Pinocchio. You had the Robert Zemeckis one, which was very, very faithful to the original and didn't really add anything new and felt like it was just there because Pinocchio and content and all the rest of it, and then you had what Guillermo del Toro did, which was still recognizably Pinocchio, but clearly very different, clearly he had connected with it on several other levels. And he brought that to the story. And it was a really unique adaptation, unique telling of that story that still felt recognizably Pinocchio. Uh, and I feel like if we aim for more of the Guillermo uh, than the Zemeckis, then we'd be on the right track with any that and all feature adaptations. Gonna slap so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it does get to that again when it gets to that point of how many times it's been done before. That mm -hmm. does make a big difference. I mean, I think about you know, I mentioned Dracula earlier. I think one of the why I love Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula so much is that as much as it's a loose well it's both um it's both the closest that sticks the closest to the actual dracula's narrative but also is not because there was never a romance element to it mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like how do you make it reflective again of like the area you're in and make it adaptable and shapeshift and like i love the fact that it turned like dracula into this like Let's like let's go back to like the Vlad origin, which basically that Dracula three thousand. What was the one with um, what's his name in it? Luke Evans. Like basically, yeah. ever since then, it's like jumped on that wagon. Mm -hmm. Like, but it's like the idea that like Mina's a reincarnation of it. But then it's also this kind of like deeply camp and homoerotic as well. Like really highly sexual and grapples with like how there's something about fear and desire when it comes to vampires as law. Mm -hmm. Like. I thought that was just executed so brilliantly. Mm. Like the use of red in that film as well is just in such a stark contrast to like the kind of the brutally like gray, mundane Victorian society in that he finds himself in. Do you, do, I think do, that's... do you prefer that film to Renfield? 100%. Oh, oh my wow. God. Come on. <laughs> Clarice, that you must. Like yeah, that is a far superior even, film. I'm not the biggest fan of that Dracula but it's far better than Renfield yeah Ooh, this is yeah. interesting <laughs> um but then I think about something like um yeah again where something it can expand on things like um or change things in a way that works like Station Eleven I don't know if you ever saw that series but the book mm. is one of my favorite books of the last 
few years by Emily St. John Mandel, which I read a few years ago and was like, I loved it. And then when I saw the actual adaptation of it into a series, which um, tweaked certain elements of it, but it still fundamentally worked on the sense of this kind of like connection and love and just this idea of, I don't know, kind of when you're in a distant, what, what you lose and what how like art and creativity can be the one that connects everyone still, mm. even in a world without electricity and all. Oh, it's just so beautifully rendered. And I don't, and, and for me that like, I can enjoy Station Eleven, the book, but I appreciate that this might, the TV series does something a bit different that works for the medium with, within, uh, within which it's been adapted into. Mm. Like there's also another thing I saw a little life last night. I haven't read the book, but it was really, it was, it's, you know, the one that everyone's kind of like, it's so trauma. Like the book is very trauma porn or some people say it's just full. It's just the lead character just get, mm. is just brutalized by life. And in the stage show, they really show a lot of stuff, which is quite um, overt and explicit. Um, but there's something like one of the things when I interviewed James Norton about, it, it's like, you couldn't do this as a, as a film. It suits the stage because he can play an eight-year-old, right? And like, he can play these moments where he's experiencing like sexual abuse. But like, if you did that on screen and you had a child involved with that, it would be too literal. There's an element of what you're adapting it into creates an avenue to be able to explore something in a different way. I suppose, how much do you think that also makes a difference? Like Clarice about, if you've got a book, how much does a, having cinematic language can totally change and, 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 um, and reach places that maybe, you know, a different medium wouldn't do or expand on it? Yeah, because I, I guess to take one of my other favourite books, <laughs> it's the one, the red flag one, Catch on the Rye, I think <laughs> the reason, well, it's partially because J.D. Salinger was like, please don't do it, but the reason that hasn't been adapted into a movie is because the difficulty of um, translating from page to screen is that uh, novels are so often or can be very first person driven and you're really like dumped into the middle of somebody's psyche. Um, mm. And it's obviously doable on screen, but it can be really tricky. And I think with somebody like Holden Caulfield, um, I think it could be done. I pitched it. At I feel the like Paul Schrader could be do it. No, I, like Paul I wouldn't let him it. do it. I'm very convinced what? that if anybody does catch on the right, it should be a woman should direct it. So I picked Kelly Reichardt because I think she could. I think she'd get him. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's it's yeah. It, it, that's where I think a lot of adaptations fall down is that they get lost in in that sort of in that switch between being on the inside of someone's head and being on the outside mm. where you have to understand somebody through uh outward action i mean you can have like narration but i just uh, that's often like kind of a shortcut um mm. um i'd also add to that and amon bring you into this as well as lion king is one of your like your favorite disney movie ever there's also something that's lost when you adapt it into live action because there is something about the way we see the expressiveness of the animated character, 2D animated characters' faces that when you compare it to the live action, mm. the photorealist, it's like, no, you need to anthropomorphize the faces of these animals to get that kind of... Like when <laughs> there's a thing that's seen that comes up where it's like when 
when Simba realizes that his dad's like dying mm. and you see the hurt on Simba's face. He's like, oh my God, shock. Mm -hmm. And then you compare it to the photorealistic version and it just looks like a lion cub just looking straight ahead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <sighs> quiet. I'm going to be so quiet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no clues has more than that for the live action inverted commas. Quiet as a meerkat. Lion King than, than I do. It's so in, it was so interesting watching that film for the first time. I was I was at the UK premiere. I was watching it with my mum, who first introduced me to the Lion King all those years ago. And for me, still when I watch the Lion King animated movie, and I'm probably in the triple figures on watching that film now, but I still feel all the emotions at various parts of that movie because it's so powerful because of the storytelling and because of the animation, Anna, as you're alluding to. Um, for so many reasons, for me, that adaptation didn't do a lot for me because even though it was ostensibly the same story, none of those feelings, none of those emotions that I had for it were because of what I was watching. They were because of the 1994 film and what that film achieved when you're adapting something, that, 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 that film, you know, I was talking earlier about what new thing are you going to bring to it? And I feel like with the Lion King live action, beyond the technological wizardry, which I will concede, there's some really impressive stuff done in that regard, there wasn't enough new there to justify we're going to make a whole live action thing for this now. Um, so yeah, animation definitely plays a role, but also it goes back to what fresh stuff on a storytelling level and a character level more than anything else are you going to bring when you decide to adapt something? I don't think mm. that film in particular did that for me. Mm. And I suppose my one of the, it's interesting to see one of, we were talking earlier, like does it capture the essence of the original mm. um, material, source material? Yeah. I'd say one of the most successful things, successful thing, adaptations that doesn't really capture the original political subject matter uh, might be wicked <laughs> because mm. that book is super dark and like mm. dis sensuous and like full of like sex and all this and, and kind of all about marginalized identities in a way that like the, <laughs> the, the, the adaptation stage adaptation does not capture whatsoever well, have you read the book no i thought you were talking about in comparison to like the actual wizard of oz book <laughs> no no i'm talking about wicked because the wicked was an, an adaptation of the wizard of oz yeah but like there was a book but, and then it was turned into and it was yeah exactly and then that was adapted and like when i read the book after watching wicked i was like oh wow these are different completely different well they got they got another Maybe crack at it about to say Sorry. we get we're getting the movie <laughs> Later this year, Cynthia Erivo coming to play. Yes. So. Well, um, yeah, well, let's see if it, fingers crossed it'll be less Oz the Great and Powerful. <laughs> At least um, Ariana's wearing a pretty dress. That's all I've seen of the movie. Is she Glinda? Yeah. And there's oh, shots of her on set. She's a, she was in she was an actress on Disney, so I, I have good I have faith. So she is was that... great in Scream Queens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was. She was great. So, was so because I haven't sort of you know seen um, any uh, wicked stuff. Like, where should I be going for? Or should I be going for anything before watching that film? Hey, this year, should no. I be reading the book or 
watching a film? No. no? Just watch Wizard of Oz. Okay. I mean, I don't think you have to read or watch everything before you do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I did not read A Little Life before I saw A Little Life. I was like, I only pay just not doing that. But mm. sometimes you can just sort of mm. appreciate it. And if you're interested afterwards, you can read more. That's what I mean. Sometimes I feel like you don't have to do homework. Sometimes I, you can just go into it cold-eyed and then, yeah. you know, clear-eyed. Yeah. <laughs> I really tried reading Lord of the Rings after watching the film because I loved the film so much. And it just, I didn't get very far. Those things are deep. You should try again. Lord of the Rings is great. So the book. Good. The Hobbit. The Hobbit is my favourite, though. Which is yeah. wild to me, once again, that they made that into three movies. Yeah. Although, I did try to read the appendices and I gave up, like, 20 pages in. So maybe not that. That's just like reading the Bible, but about middle birth. Yeah. It's there really we go. There's, weird. There's, there's, there's Peter Jackson's successful adaptation of Lord of the Rings versus his unsuccessful adaptation of The Hobbit. Mm. <laughs> Some things should not be touched or not be tried to be flogged <laughs> like a dead horse and milked for every bit of creative juice that they could possibly can. Anyway, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> so cheery. I said Lord of the Rings is great. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is safest for you. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It makes a difference. You can tweet us any questions or hot takes at Fade to Black Pod on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with me, you can contact me via that uh, mode of communication because I am still off Twitter and Instagram for the time being. I am at Clarice Lou on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. And if you want to come complain about Catcher in the Rye, I will fight you. <laughs> I'm very defensive of that book. And I am I'm on Woman on Twitter and Instagram. It's so funny. My mum texted me yesterday. She goes, have you blocked me on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't blocked anyone. Don't worry. Okay, farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. Bye.